bless you this morning. I ask you to key, uh, remain standing with me, please, and reach for your Bibles today, if you don't mind. And we're going to go to the book of Joshua, chapter 24, today. And while you're going there, after service, don't leave. I have a couple of just housekeeping items I need to talk to you about, so don't leave. Uh, just some things that you'll want to, to know about. Joshua, chapter 24, and while you're going there... I believe that I saw somebody come in this morning. Where, where is she? Right in the back. Uh, Mama Jean is back with us this morning. Amen. She has been out for several weeks dealing with some health issues, and uh, they rolled her in this morning, and it is just delightful uh, to see her today uh, and to have her with us. You know her as Mama Jean. I affectionately call her Mean Mean Mama Jean. And uh, I'm glad today that she is back. Her and Brother Clinton are with us this morning. We've been praying uh, diligently for her. And uh, I'm so thankful that she is uh, she's with us today. Let me take a moment to just welcome uh, our folks that are joining us on Facebook Live today. You know, a couple weeks ago we, we launched that, and we've got folks that are viewing our services on a regular basis, so we just welcome those that are viewing us today on Facebook Live. Hope that you have enjoyed the service, and you'll check back with us again next week and every week after that uh, and be a part of what the Lord is doing here at Pulaski. Joshua chapter 24, I want to read two verses of Scripture this morning, please, if you don't mind I'll read the 14th and the 15th verse. I'm actually going to read this today from the King James Version. I typically use the New King James Version, but I want to use a different version today because there's some wording there that is as close to the original as I could find. Here's what the Bible says. Now, therefore, this is Joshua talking, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Verse 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There, are, there is a phrase that Joshua mentioned twice, verse 14 and verse 15. And he referenced the other side of the flood. I want to take a few moments today, and I want to preach on that thought this morning, the other side of the flood. Let me pray quickly and I'll let you be seated and we'll get into this this morning. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you today for the truth of the word and the timing of your word is always perfect. Thank you, God, for worship this morning, Lord, that has encouraged us, has edified us, but more importantly, God, it has exalted you today. I'm just asking that you would allow the Holy Spirit to settle down here for the next few minutes. God, as I communicate to these folks today a, a truth that you have just impressed upon my heart. And I pray when we gather in these altars this morning, God, that there will be people that will walk out of here today that will know beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that they have had an encounter with you, God, that they just won't feel different with God, but things will change in their lives, Lord. Thank you today for what you're going to do, and I praise you for it. And the church said amen. God bless you today. You can be seated. Pastor Tony, thank you so much today for your help in the ministry of worship. Joshua is a man that I admire very much. I, I like Joshua, and I enjoy preaching about Joshua. I like him because he seemed to have what I call a follower's anointing. And by that I mean he was comfortable working behind the scenes in order to make others look good. Now when the reins of leadership were placed in his hands, because you know that Joshua for many years was the assistant to the great leader that we know as Moses today. Moses was the man that God had raised up to take the children of Israel out of a 430-year period of slavery and bondage under the Egyptians. And for many years, Moses was a, was a great and effective leader for Israel. But at 120 years old, it came his time to die. Moses had led the children of Israel to the brink of their promised land, a land that they were going to have as their own because for 400 plus years they had lived in the land of the Egyptians as slaves. And God, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 34, God took Moses to the top of Mount Nebo and he literally preached Moses' funeral. He buried him, the Bible says, somewhere on the top of Mount Nebo and nobody knows to this day where God buried Moses. Now you talk about one more eulogy right there. How about God preaching your funeral? God preached the funeral of Moses, buried him on the top of Mount Nebo, and Joshua is now tasked with the responsibility of taking the children of Israel into that promised possession, finishing what Moses started. And I believe that when the reins of leadership were placed in the hands of Joshua, I believe Joshua trembled. I believe he trembled so much, in fact, Brother Turpin, that God had to come down and reassure him that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. The first nine verses of Joshua chapter 1 summarize his call. It says that it happened after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and here's what it said, Arise. And go over this Jordan, you and all these people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. In verse 5, God says to Joshua that no one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. In verse 6, God says to him, be strong and of good courage. In verse 7, he says to him, only be strong and very courageous. In verse 8, God says to him, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Verse 9, God concludes his call to Joshua by saying, have I not commanded you? This is the third time now. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong 
be of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I'm going to go with you, Joshua. And at that moment, Joshua is now tasked with the responsibility of leading two million plus people over into a promised land that God said they could have. Now, when Joshua accepted this role, he accepted this assignment and this role as a much younger man than he is when we find him here in Joshua chapter 24. By this time, his hair is a bit silver. His steps have slowed down quite a bit. He is coming down toward the, the final stages of his life when he gathers all of Israel together for what will be his, some of his parting words to them. In his remarks, he addresses the need of household salvation. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord is the theme of this 24th chapter. And the obvious need of our day and time, because here's why I say that, no matter where I go to preach, and on any given Sunday in this sanctuary, if I were to ask who is here that has family members that don't know Christ, practically every hand in this place would go up. But it's not the obvious that reaches for my attention in this text. It is this remark that Joshua makes about the other side of the flood. Had he only said it one time, I probably wouldn't have paid much attention to it, but he mentioned it twice, and even God himself in his instructions to Joshua, in Joshua 24, verses 2 and 3, God himself alluded to it. So what is all this talk about the other side of the flood? What is it in reference to? Well, first let me tell you that it is not referring to the great flood in Noah's day. If you study it out, it is connected to, and it does make reference to that great river that we read about in Scripture, the Euphrates River. But there's something more to it. When he mentions it twice and God mentions it twice, they talk about the other side of the flood. What are they talking about? I believe that Joshua is referring to something that happened in Joshua chapter 3. After he had accepted the role and the reins and the responsibility of leading those People and picking up where Moses left off. The Bible details a story for us in Joshua chapter 3 that he brings these people to the Jordan River. He brings them to the Jordan River because that is the very river they're going to have to cross in order to get over into a place called Jericho, which will be the first city of their promised land that they conquer, but they cannot get into Jericho. They cannot begin to possess their promised land until they cross the Jordan River. So what's, what's so significant, Pastor, about him coming to the Jordan River? If you read Joshua chapter 3, 
The Bible tells us that when he brings those people to the Jordan River that day, that the Jordan River is overflowing its banks. It is at flood stage during the time of harvest. Now watch this. So he brings them to that river that is completely and totally out of control. The Bible tells us that it was overflowing its banks. It is a flooded river. Joshua, keep in mind now, he is the new young leader, following in the footsteps of Moses. He has not yet won the confidence of these people that he is leading. For so many years, he had been content just to be the assistant to Moses. Moses made all the hard decisions. Moses dealt with all of the grumbling and complaining and griping people. Joshua was, was just there to assist him and to encourage him. But now Moses is gone. And you've got this leader that has been tasked with the responsibility of taking these people into a promised land. For 430 years they had lived as slaves. God had given them a promise. I'm going to give you your own land. And Joshua thought Moses would take care of that. But if you read through the Old Testament, you will understand that Moses was not allowed to take those people in because Moses could not follow instructions and be obedient when God told him to do something. And because of that, Moses forfeited the opportunity to take them over. Thus, God takes him to Mount Nebo, preaches his funeral, and buries him. And now it's Joshua's turn. And he has two million-plus people, Aunt B that are depending on him to get them across this flooded river in order to position themselves at the first city of their promised land called Jericho. Now just stay with me for a minute. And Joshua goes to God in prayer. And God promises this young leader that the waters are going to part and that they're going to walk across into their promised land. The waters are going to part, and if you follow the story in Joshua chapter 3, the Bible says that the priests of that day, the, the spiritual leaders of the day, they would bear on their shoulders something the Bible calls the Ark of the Covenant. It was this rectangular box that was overlaid with gold, made of wood, but overlaid with gold, and it symbolized and it signified the very presence and the power of God. And as they're, they're breaking camp that day in Joshua chapter 3, and the priests are the ones that are supposed to go out in front and to lead the way. They would put that Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, and here's what the Lord told Joshua. As those priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant go out in front of the people, as soon as the soles of their feet touch that water, I'm going to begin to allow those flood waters to recede and to dry up. If you read Joshua chapter 3, you're going to see that's exactly what happened. Those priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, they get to that river that is at flood stage. The Bible is very clear that it is overflowing its banks. It is a river that is completely and totally out of control. And as the priests bear the Ark of the Covenant that day, as soon as they step their foot, their toes touch that water, if you follow chapter 3, the Bible says that those waters that were flowing downstream from upstream, 
that all of a sudden God began to gather those waters together, the Bible says, in a heap. It's almost as if God took his hand and he began to hold those waters back. Those waters were coming from the melted snow on top of the mountains, flowing down the mountains and, and coming downstream and causing that river to break out of its banks and become a violent, flooded river. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that the waters begin to gather in a heap. And the priests bearing that Ark of the Covenant, they step into that river. Those waters begin to recede. And if you read Joshua chapter 3, it says that the priests stood firm on, watch this now, they stood firm on dry ground. Pastor, there's no way it could have happened that quickly. You can say what you want. You can believe what you will. But there are things in this book that I believe that when it speaks literally to us, that's exactly what it means. It was not a figure of speech, but they literally stood firm on dry ground and Joshua and two million plus people walked across that river, positioned themselves at the city of Jericho and began to possess the promise that God's said they could have and that day God had spoke to Joshua and had said this day I will begin to magnify thee in the sight of all of Israel and as I was with Moses so I will be with you and God assured that young leader that what could be his downfall and his destruction would become the place of his Greatest triumph. And God came through. And that Jordan River, that flooded Jordan River, became the place of Joshua's divine encounter and connection with God. It became that place where God came down and tapped him on the shoulder and said, allow me to introduce myself to you. And for the rest of his life, he could not get that account out of his mind. He's like any of us. Regardless of how long ago that they happened, we have a tendency to talk about big events. And we never forget them. I'm pretty certain that if the Lord tarries his coming, and some of you will be dead and gone in 50 years. I might be dead and gone in 50 years. But if, we're, if, if, if this earth still remains, and there will be a church here, there'll be people that will look back and be able to point to the date and the time that they stood across the street and watched this building burn down, but will point back to the time and place and say, but that's where God came through, and that's where God proved himself to us, and that's where God showed himself faithful. Yeah. For the rest of his life, he couldn't shake it. I believe it is my opinion that in verse 14 and in verse 15, even when God references in verse 2 and 3, I believe it may, it's not just the Euphrates, Euphrates River that they're talking about there, but I believe Joshua is talking about that encounter that he had in chapter 3 or that flooded Jordan River. Listen, there is nothing like a river out of control. It is a point of crisis. We have turned on the TV before. We have watched as raging, rushing, roaring waters have devastated and have destroyed property and people and animals. 
We've seen the power of swift-moving waters that, that can destroy things in its path without any regard or thought for anyone or anything. And when Joshua came to that river that day, he didn't come to just a little trickle, but he came to a river, a violent, flooded river, overflowing its banks. And if he had ever needed God to come through, he was at a place in his life that he had to have the Lord show up. And it became his place of encounter. It became his place of connection. And you know what I believe today? The problem with many people and many churches can be summed up in this one phrase. They have not had a recent flood in their lives. And if they have, it's been so long ago that they can't hardly recall or even remember what it was. Or it's been so long ago that all they talk about is where they have been and what God has done and what God did. Listen, it's been too long since we've had a fresh encounter and a fresh flood where God comes down and shows himself and proves himself to be faithful and powerful. Listen, I don't know about you. I'm thankful for the blessings of God in years gone by, but I am not content to live in a place or live on what God has done. I need a new touch from God every single day and I believe there's people in this place this morning there's maybe a flood in your life that you're facing right now I believe that it will become the place of your encounter it will become the place of your connection it'll become the place where the Lord comes down and says this is who I am this is what I can do this is what I'm capable of doing and when that does happen you will never ever be able to forgive the goodness and the power and the faithfulness of an almighty God if you're glad about that today somebody praise the Lord I want you to hear me today that a right theology that's great you better have a theology based on the truth of the word of God a philosophy for life and for ministry that's wonderful but you better have a place that you can point back to and you can say that's where God came down you better better have a reference point that you can look back to and you can say that's where I experienced the glory and the power and the goodness of God because here's what I know the devil can and will argue and debate and debate theology all day long but I like what one man said a child of God with an experience is never at the mercy of a devil with an argument did you hear me? I said a child of God with an experience is never at the mercy of a devil with an argument. There's been times in my life when I've left some of the greatest services that we've ever had, that I've ever been a part of as far as preaching or just been in. And there'll be times that the devil will come up and try to get us to doubt and to question the power and the presence and the goodness of God. But I'm telling you, if you've got an experience that you can point back to and say, devil, you're a day late and a dollar short. I know that I know that I know that I met God that I encountered God that I heard God that God touched my life I'm telling you if you've got an experience and I want you to hear this preacher today it's not just a one time experience I need a touch of God at different seasons in my life I need a fresh encounter with the Lord let me take you to a story in John 9 
And that's going to be my, my concluding story today. The Bible tells us in John chapter 9 that Jesus and his disciples passed by one day. As a matter of fact, John chapter 9 records for us the sixth of seven different miracles that Jesus performed in the Gospel of John. John recorded seven of those miracles, but if you look throughout the Scriptures, even read the writings of John, he said that if all the miracles of Jesus were recorded, he said all the books of the world couldn't contain everything that he did. And John chapter 9 says that Jesus and his disciples passed by one day, and they saw a man who was born blind from birth. And when his disciples saw this man. I need to come down here and preach. I don't know if the camera can pick me up good, but I'm just going to have to come down here and preach a little bit. It's all right. They said to Jesus, who, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Don't you, don't you love it when people think that every time something goes wrong, it has to be because you've done something bad and God's punishing you? I don't serve a father like that. Now, you hear me. There are consequences to sin, and you do indeed reap what you sow. But just because something is going on in your life and there's a struggle right now, there's a trial or a test, God's not punishing you for something you did 10 or 20 years ago. Jesus said, listen, neither this man nor his parents did sin, but that the works of God might be made manifest. He said, I must... Work the work of him who sent me while it is still day. He said, the night is coming when no man can work. And as long as I am in the world, according to John 9, 4, he said, I am the light of the world. And after he said that, the Bible says that he, Kenny Hancock, he spit on the ground. He made this clay-like substance from the dirt. He anointed or he smeared it across this man's eyes and he said to him, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And the Bible says that the man went, he washed, and he came back seeing. And we could just stop right there and celebrate, couldn't we? Born blind from birth. And somehow, the supernatural power of Christ through some saliva and some mud and some water performed this incredible miracle. Can I just stop there and tell you long enough? God may not use ordinary methods for you to have a miracle, but just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that it's not God. So when that happens, the man comes back, and there's some neighbors there. The Bible just says neighbors, but if I was writing, I'd say some nosy neighbors. Anybody live near any nosy? Don't raise your hand. Always peeking out the blinds to see if they can see something or, you know, nosy neighbors. I think I might have some of my development. <laughs> Hope they're not watching. <clears throat> now i got to be careful what I say now. Always peeking and looking. I guess make sure I'm obeying the speed limit or whatever I need to be doing. And he comes back and the neighbor says, they say, it." Isn't this, isn't this the man that sat begging? 
isn't this the man that was, was born blind? Some of them say, well, yeah, it kind of looks like him, but it, it, it can't be him. And the, the man says, it's me. It's me. I, I was the man that sat here begging. He was born blind. And they said to him, well, tell us, how did you receive your sight? I wish I could just stop at these four words and preach. He said, a man called Jesus. We could put an exclamation point there and walk out there. A man called Jesus. I want to tell somebody today, there's a man called Jesus that is still working today. He's still healing today. He's still touching today. He's still delivering today. He's still setting free today. I know he's well over 2,000 years old, but a man called Jesus is still alive and well and at work in the lives of people today. He said, a man called Jesus anointed my eyes. And told me to go wash. And I went and I did. And now I see. Well, they weren't content with that. So they say to him, come on, let's go. We're going to take you to the religious leaders. We're going to take you to the people that work in the synagogue. We're going to take you to some church folk. We're going to take you to the Pharisees. So they bring this man to the Pharisees and... They say to the Pharisees, let me just kind of paraphrase here. This, this man was born blind. He sat here begging for many years, and now he's received his sight. And the Pharisees now, who had no regard for Jesus or the works he was doing, they hated him, were looking for a way to get rid of him. They say to him, tell us, how did you receive your sight? And he's probably thinking, I've already told once. He said, I'm telling you, he anointed my eyes, I went, I washed, and now I see. Now, the Bible says that on the day when the healing took place, it was the Sabbath day. And you understand that the Jews had strict guidelines when it came to the Sabbath. Nobody lifted a finger on the Sabbath day. Nothing happened on the Sabbath. No work, no ministry. I mean nothing. The Pharisee said, well, this, this man, Jesus, he can't be of God because he healed on the Sabbath day. He, he broke all the rules. He went against tradition. And then some of the other crowd said, well, a man who's a sinner, he couldn't do such miracles. And the Bible said that there was division among them. I love it when the devil's crowd gets divided. I mean, you get the devil's crowd divided, you're in trouble. So you've got some over here saying Jesus can't be of God because he healed on the Sabbath day. You've got another, another group over here saying, well, a man that's a, that's a sinner, uh, he couldn't do such miracles. And I said to him, tell us, what do you think about this man called Jesus? And the blind man said, well, he's a prophet. See, his eyes hadn't been completely opened yet spiritually. Well, they're not content with that. So they go to the young man's or the man's parents now, we've been to the neighbors, we've been to the religious leaders, and now we go to the parents. And they say to the parents, is this your son? Was he born blind? And how does he now see? And the parents say, he is our son. He was born blind. But how he sees, we don't know. He's old enough. Ask him yourself. 
Now, the Bible says that the parents did this out of fear. Because the Jews had said that anybody who claims that Christ is the Messiah, they would be expelled or kicked out of the synagogue forever. So the parents, not wanting to be kicked out of the church, they were more concerned with what religion said than what they could have found in a relationship with Christ. I said, he's of age. Ask him yourself. Pastor Tony, come help me. I'm going to land this thing. We're his parents. This is our son. We know he's born blind, but how he sees, we don't know. Ask him yourself. I don't believe that was true, Brother Turpin. I'm pretty certain had he, at some point after he had received that miracle, I'm sure his mother and father knew. But fear dictated their decision. So the Pharisees once again go to this man born blind. And they say to him, Sir, give God the glory. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I want you to watch this response. I'm, I'm closing right here. Give God the glory. We know this man's a sinner. And the man who was born blind looks at those people and he says, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I know. I was blind I, need a, I just need a touch of monitor please if you don't mind because I got I to preach this right here and I got to have some volume to preach it. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. But there's one, one thing. Mission A, one thing. I was blind, but now, now I see. You know what he was saying? I've had a flood. God, I'm about to preach myself happy right here. I've had an encounter. I've got a bottom line to this thing. All this other stuff you're wanting to know about and all this other stuff you're talking about, I'm not sure. I don't know all of your guidelines and all of your rules about the Sabbath. I don't know all this stuff about being a Pharisee and about the synagogue, but here's what I do know. I came out of my mama's womb blind. I've been blind all my life. I've sat by a road begging all my life, but Jesus came by and he touched me. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. See, that's the bottom line. That's a flood. That's, that's an encounter. That's that man knowing that he knows, that he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt. I don't have all of the theology. I don't have all of the philosophy. I don't know about tradition, and I don't know about protocol. But I know my life has 
I'll never ever be the same again I wish somebody praised the Lord today I was blind but now I see hallelujah stand up please all over this building hallelujah listen listen to me here's the amazing thing That man who was physically blind, he didn't have any physical sight. But all of those people around him, they were as blind spiritually more so than he was physically. Somebody once said, there's none so blind as those who cannot see. See, the blind man, he couldn't see. But those religious leaders, they refused to see. He had a flood. He had an encounter. I'm going to tell you, you better hear me now. You better have a place and places that you can go back to. And you know that God has touched your life. You remember the story of Jesus in the wilderness? He shows up in the wilderness and for 40 days and 40 nights, he is tempted by the devil. And three different times the devil tries to get him to give into temptation. But see, here's the, here's the thing. Just hours earlier, Jesus had come up out of the Jordan River. The heavens had opened. The Spirit of God had descended like a dove, and the voice of the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus had had a flood, and the devil came. It was way too late because Jesus had experienced the affirmation of his Father. I want you to know today that the enemy will come and get you to doubt your experience and to get you to question God has done in your life. I'm telling you today that God is ready to bring some of you through a flood that you're facing. There's people I believe here today under the sound of my voice. You're in the midst of, a, of your own flood, a crisis. And if God doesn't do it and if God doesn't come through, it's not going to happen. There's people here today, God's ready to bring you through your own flood. And when he, listen, and when he does, I didn't say if he does, I said when he does, you'll never forget it. I'm looking across this congregation this morning and I'm looking at your faces and there's many of you today who could point back and say, Pastor, yeah, I've had a flood here and a flood here and a flood here, but I'm telling you, you can't rest on a past flood. We need a present encounter with the Lord. A flood's always connected to a place. For Joshua, it was connected to the Jordan. For the man born blind, it was connected to the pool of Siloam. Your flood's always connected to a place. Your flood is always connected to a person. For Joshua, it was those people of Israel. For the man born blind, it was Jesus. Your flood's always connected to a person, and your flood's always connected to a purpose. For Joshua, it was the crossing of the Jordan River. For the man born blind, it was to receive his sight. 
And I don't know what the purpose of your flood is. But I believe when God pulls you through and when God brings you through, I believe that one purpose is going to be so that everybody around you and you yourself can look and point up and say, it had to be the Lord. It had to be the Lord. Can I say this today as I close? We've had a lot of floods in 100 years around this place, hadn't we? Been a lot of encounters with God in 100 years. If those, if those walls right here across this parking lot could talk, if those walls could speak, if we could go down to East Main and find that place the church used to sit. I believe, did it sit over on Dora Highway at one time as well? Did it sit over there? Somebody told me no, it didn't sit on Dora. East Main, where else was it? Lee Street. If we could find some of the brick and mortar and walls of those places, and if they could speak, boy, they'd speak to us of some floods that you folks encountered. I walked through that older building the other day before they took it down, 1967, G.C. Timmerman. And boy, if those walls could have talked to me, I could have heard some stuff. I stood in that newer building, 1975, I believe, Paul Barker. I stood right somewhere, I believe, at center stage, I think. And boy, if those walls could have talked. There had been some floods in there, hadn't it? There had been some of the greatest revivals and moves of God. Encounters with God, healings, miracles. And you listen to your pastor. We don't take those things for granted, not for one moment. And we're not flippant about what's happening, about those buildings being gone. And I know, listen, I know the church, the people are the church. But I'm going to tell you, I don't know what day it was that I pulled up. There were two exterior walls of the building that was constructed in 75 still standing right here on the corner. I guess it was the office, the office wall and then part of the breezeway. Two brick, that's all that was left. I came outside, and just as I came outside, I watched that big machinery knock those last two walls down to the ground. It was sobering. I mean, it was very sobering. It, I'm going to be honest with you. It, it hurt my heart a little bit. And I don't, I don't have the connection that some of you have. I don't have the, the history that some of you have. But it hurt my heart to watch that. And then to pull up today and there are no walls. Rubble. But that rubble speaks to us of floods. Encounters with God. Hundreds of thousands of people saved in those buildings. Baptized in the Holy Ghost in those buildings. Healed by the supernatural power of God in those buildings. Baptized in water in those baptistries. Weddings that have happened there. Saints of old that have gone before us and funerals that have been preached there. But you know what I'm asking the Lord for? Starting in here and whenever we get to erect a building, God, give us a fresh encounter with you. And I don't have any problem with reflecting. 
I don't have an issue with some of you older folks reflecting and talking about and telling me, Pastor, you won't believe what happened there and what God did. And all that's good. And I, don't, I, don't, I like to hear some of that. But listen, I want us to get to the place we start talking about. Pastor, you know what? Remember, remember when we were in the dining hall just a few weeks ago? Remember what God? Listen, you may, and I don't know if you were here last Sunday night. I'm telling you, the power of the Lord showed up in this place last Sunday night. <clears throat> and if you weren't here, oh, boy, you missed it. I mean, the glory of the Lord came down. People were touched and they were ministered to. And a lot of you just sat around in your chairs and lingered in the presence of God. That's a flood. That's a moment we can look back at. You know what I want the Lord to do? I don't ever want to forget the past. I didn't even plan on going down this way. I don't ever want us to forget the 100-year history of what God has done here. But I'm telling you, three months ago, we started making some new history. We started creating some new memories. And boy, if I had time today, I could start listing some floods. Thank God for the International Pentecostal Holiness Church, the Appalachian Conference over there. God came through and gave us a building for three months. A wonderful auditorium to worship in. Plenty of space in, our, in that worship area. Oh, Pastor, that's just coincidence because we knew somebody. You think what you want, but I'm telling you, God came down and proved himself and said, I'm going to take care of you. I could take you back to that car dealership that Wednesday night, January the 11th. 300 plus packed in that place, hurting and broken and weeping and wondering. And the Lord just settled down in that place and just reminded us, I've got you in the palm of my hand. I'm going to take care of you. And then to be back here, to be back here and be in this auditorium. I know it's probably a little crowded some. Pastor, are we going to go to two services? I don't know. I'm not going to do it for convenience. I'll tell you that. I'm going to do it if the crowd's big enough and not just to accommodate. Well, I want to get out early. That ain't going to happen. I promise you that. I just made about 25 of you mad. I love you. I'm not going to do it just for convenience so we can get out and have the rest of the day. Now, if we get too crowded, I guarantee you I'll start one. And to be in this place, I mean, it feels like a nice church in here. And th listen to me. Thank God for Bob Owens. I didn't plan on doing this either. Thank God for brother and sister Owens. Thank God for a man that had vision. Thank God for a man that built this building. And in 2001, when this place was dedicated, he had no idea that 16 years later, we needed to worship him. But thank God for a man that worked his fingers to the bone to get this place built for the glory of God. Thank God. Oh, I feel really bold right here. And that gets a little dangerous. We didn't, we, we didn't like him. I didn't ask you if you liked him. We didn't like his demeanor, the way he handled himself. He was, he was made a little bit rough. I, I know it doesn't matter. Thank God for a man that worked hard to have this beautiful place that we're in. He didn't have that vision back when he started building 17 years ago. I don't know where we'd be. We'd be in trouble. We'd be in a bad way, but thank God. Thank God for men that have paved the way for me to stand here today. Thank God for Bob Owens. Thank God for Jerry Collins. Thank God for Donnie Weaver. Thank God for E.M. Abbott. Thank God for C.E. Landreth. Thank 
God for Jim Talley. Thank God for Paul Barker. Thank God for G.C. Terran. Thank God for Brother Wise. Thank God for men that paved the way. That's why we're here today. Thank God for floods in our lives. I'm going to affirm the past. I'm going to celebrate the past. I'm going to celebrate former leaders. But I'm going to anticipate a fresh new move of God, a fresh encounter of the Holy Spirit that lets me know God is still on our side and God is still at work in this great church. I wish somebody praise the Lord today. I don't know. I just feel good right now. Raise up your hands and welcome him. Come on, he's here.